Good morning. I want to welcome you again. My name is Sam Taff. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. That was Chandler Mockamel leading us in worship. Uh, and as he mentioned, if we've not met you, we would love to get the chance to do that. After the service, I'll be down front. Chandler will be in the back. Um, we would love to get to know you. You don't have to be a huge basketball fan uh, to be aware of what happened in 2018 and 2019 in the men's NCAA basketball tournament. Uh, 2018, people would regard as, uh, up to that time, the biggest upset in college basketball history. Number one seed Virginia lost in the first round. And of course, there's, you know, lots of brackets busted, lots of embarrassment and shame for that program, losing to a 16 seed, especially when people thought you had a chance to win it all. The next season, they come back. They're a number one seed again. And this time, they win the whole thing. Now, winning an NCAA championship in any sport would have to be pretty amazing. And the celebration after winning that would have to be pretty amazing. But for that team, with all the heartache they experienced the year before and all the players who were on that team that stuck with it and ended up winning... I can't imagine the joy they were experiencing uh, in that locker room afterwards. And there was lots of celebrating, uh, and it lasted for a while. But it's interesting. In the middle of that celebration in the locker room, their coach, Tony Bennett, looked at them and he said, I want you to promise me one thing. He said this to his players, that you will remain humble. He said, don't let this change you. Now, for people that have gone through a lot, you know, they were humiliated last year, probably had no trouble being humble in the, in the past year. Uh, you may not think, wow, what these players really need to hear is stay humble. Um, no, like, let's let the good times roll, you know. This is awesome. Let's celebrate. But evidently their coach had seen enough, maybe in his own heart, maybe in former players or other people that he knew, to know that there was a real danger and letting success get to you, in changing you. This fall, we've been looking at the Gospel of Mark. And we're in a section right now in chapter 6. Uh, and to give you a little bit of context, I've included two other verses uh, that are at the beginning of chapter 6. We're going to pick up in verse 30, where Jesus' disciples have come back. They're, they're coming back from a mission he sent them. Uh, in verses 7 and 13, we read that Jesus sent them out with power to heal and to cast out demons. And they come back and they do that and they're telling Jesus about it. And pretty quickly he says, let's go to a desolate place. Now, we don't know why Jesus said that. We don't know if he sensed pride or if he sensed that this ministry success they were experiencing was getting to them. But, but it does seem to kind of mirror another instance in Luke chapter 10 when he sends out the 72 and they come back and they are pumped. Jesus, we cast out demons in your name. And he said, don't rejoice in that. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Here they come back experiencing amazing things, seeing the Lord's hand at work, casting out demons, healing people. And Jesus says, we need to go to a desolate place. Now, that's a phrase 
uh, that might be translated wilderness or wilderness place in your Bible. You see that throughout Scripture. Uh, in Mark, it's actually the place where Jesus goes in chapter 1 to pray. In the, in the midst of tons going on, Jesus goes alone to pray in a desolate place. And so Jesus is telling his disciples, you need something better than whatever success has given you. And he's going to show them and show us in this passage they need and we need to know Jesus as our good shepherd. And we're going to look at two things he shows us about himself in this passage. First, we're going to look and see our need for Jesus, who's the compassionate shepherd, who never tires and never grows weary of hearing our needs and hearing our weakness. And secondly, we're going to see that Jesus is the wise and powerful shepherd who will expose our insufficiency and actually use us and use our gifts even in the midst of insufficiency. So let's read this passage and then we will pray together. We're going to mean Mark 6, and then I'm going to read uh, verse 7 and 13, and then jump down to verse 30. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two, and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. In verse 13, they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them coming and going, and they recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages, and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. And broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we like sheep have gone astray. And we need you to be our good shepherd. And so, God, we ask that you would feed us and shepherd us by your spirit through your word this morning. Meet with us, we pray 
in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so we have this scene. Jesus notices his disciples are busy. Uh, They need rest. They probably need rest more than they're willing to admit. And he brings them to this desolate place. Now, we don't know everything that's going through the disciples' minds. We're not given that information. But knowing what they know about Jesus and knowing what they know about when he goes to desolate places and what he does there, it's probably true for us to think that what they had in mind was they were going to go to a desolate place with Jesus to do what he did when he was there in chapter 1, to pray and to spend time. And so it's likely they're getting on this boat thinking, we need to go to a desolate place. We've barely been eating. We need to rest. We need to pray. We just need to spend some time with Jesus, just us and Jesus. And of course, when they get there, that is not what's going on. Uh, there's been a lot going on in the Gospel of Mark. You know, the past few weeks, we've read these consecutive miracles. It's been a busy, busy time in the disciples that they cross the sea, it's a huge storm. Jesus calms that. They're met by a demon-possessed man. Jesus heals him and calms him. Then soon after, Jairus' daughter needs to be healed. And, and, so, and then Jesus sends them out. And, and they cast out demons and they heal people. So clearly word's gotten out about who Jesus is and who his disciples are. Because people recognize them either from the shore and they see them in the boat. And they're like, oh, there's Jesus and his disciples. Let's go after them. And so we have this scene that in some ways is almost comical. Like, we don't know if from the, from the boat they were able to tell, like, what are all these people doing? I mean, certainly when they got ashore, it says Jesus notices them. But what they were thinking they were going to experience is likely not happening. They are met there by a huge crowd. 5,000 men. Some people say that's just the men. So maybe... 15 to 20,000 people total, roughly. Either way, 5,000 or 15, 20,000, either way, that's a lot for 13 people to deal with. We've been in situations like the disciples. Uh, you want to get away? Maybe you want to spend time alone. Maybe you've planned a trip to go and be alone with, just by yourself, or, or maybe a friend or a loved one. And you get there and, you know, you unpack your bags and you get a text. Hey, your mom's really sick and she's getting worse. And all of a sudden that trip looks really different. Or you get a text that says, hey, you took both sets of keys with you. Um, or, or maybe you've had a long day at work and you get home and you just want to do Nothing. You just want to sit. You don't want to be needed by anyone. You want to sit and veg and collect your thoughts or maybe not even think. And you get a text from someone or a phone call from someone that you know is going through a really hard time. And you know why they're reaching out. And now all of a sudden that long day is probably going to be a long night. Or maybe you sit down and want to pray. You want to read your Bible. And you hear a voice, you know, from upstairs. Maybe it's a little person. I'm sick. 
In your head you're thinking, how sick? I wonder if I could triage this from the couch, possibly. Um, They arrive and there are thousands of people. And it says they're like sheep without a shepherd. These are needy people. And Jesus doesn't retreat. He goes to them. And, and you know, there's enough sheep metaphors in the Bible to where you, probably you've heard that, you know, when Jesus compares people or when the Bible refers to us as sheep, it's not paying us the highest of compliments. Sheep are not making any top 10 lists for smartest animals. Uh, there was a pastor who used to be a shepherd by the name of Philip Keller, and he wrote, he wrote a book about Psalm 23, and he talked about all the things necessary just to get a sheep to rest. So, so just to get a sheep to lie down, he said there could be no visible presence of any sort of predator. So, so even in, in the horizon, you, you could not see. If there was any visible presence, they could not relax. They could not rest. They would wear themselves out. Any pestilence, any bugs, they couldn't rest. Any, and this is the, the more remarkable one. I'm not sure how you figure this out or fix it, but any social tension among the sheep. Evidently, sheep are social animals. Any social tension amongst the flock had to be dealt with before a sheep could even rest. That's not to mention the danger they often put themselves in just because they're very silly animals and will often walk back to water that's been contaminated, walk over cliffs. Sheep are needy. And a shepherd is responsible for caring for all of those things. That, that, that's why a shepherd was not a sought-after job. It was a day and night job. And Jesus looks out at these thousands of people and he says, they're like sheep without a shepherd. This is a group of needy people. In our society, we call them difficult people. It's a group that would fit, that would fill up Bon Secours Arena. Bon Secours Arena filled with difficult people who need Jesus. Some of you know what it's like to be needy, to have needs. And, and maybe you've gone through a season where you actually, you're very aware that your needs are now known. Maybe it's financial needs that you've mentioned to a friend and then uh, it comes up again a few months later. Uh, or maybe you've been sad or depressed for a long time. And you mention it to a friend, but then it just continues, and it's still hard. Uh, it can be really hard to be in that position. It's hard to know or to feel like you're a burden to someone, that you're imposing upon someone. Maybe someone's even told you, hey, this is a lot. I don't know if, if I can handle all this. That's tough. And it's it even compounded when we project their reaction onto God. Because the, the reality is, is that we so often do that. We so often think God is going to treat us the way we treat other people. You know, many theologians have said God created us. God created man in his image and man's been returning the favor ever since. We so often think God is going to react to our needs and to our sheepness the way that we respond or the way that we've been responded to. 
it can make us really hesitant to admit, much less bring our needs honestly before God. It's so easy to think that we are imposing upon him, that we are wearing him out. Isaiah 40, 28. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. He does not faint. He does not grow weary. You, in your neediness, in your sheepness, in your insufficiency, in your recurring sins, you've never imposed upon God and you never will. You will never wear God out with your needs. It's impossible. You can't do it. You never have and you never will. They come to him and he looks on them with compassion. He does not retreat. He actually moved towards the people with compassion. He teaches them. He feeds them. He shepherds them. He longs to be with his people. And he longs to be with you and me. Jesus doesn't get frustrated when we bring our needs to him. The thing that causes Jesus angst is when we don't bring our needs to him. There's a section soon after Jesus teaches his disciples the Lord's Prayer in in the Gospel of Luke. It's in Luke 11, I believe, where he he says, this is how I want you to pray. Imagine you've got a friend that comes through at midnight and they need food and you don't have any. What are you going to do? You're going to go to your neighbor's house and they're asleep. So how are you going to wake them up? You're going to bang on that door. And you're going to keep banging until they give you food. He says, I want you to pray like that. I want you to pray like you've got great needs and you need them now. And I want you to come to me expecting that I will awake and I will meet you. Pray like that. Kick the door down on your prayers. He wants us to bring our needs to him. He wants to have compassion. He delights in showing mercy. And he shows that here in this passage. We so quickly forget that, though, don't we? I mean, think about this. When we feel like we're a burden to someone, how do we relate to them? Well, if we have a need, we're probably quick to, like, hedge it or downplay it or tell it to them really quickly, like, hey, I know I've told you this before, but it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's happening again, and I, don't even have, I know you don't have time. Or maybe we don't even pray. Maybe we don't even go to that person because it just causes them so much embarrassment and me so much embarrassment. And we can think that God is the same way. We bring our needs to God and God is up and he hears our prayer and he's just putting his head in his forehead thinking, oh my gosh, here they come again. Really? Lust again? Greed? Again? Gossip? Again, he will not faint. He will not grow weary. And when we bring our needs to Jesus, no matter how great or how small in our eyes, that's where he wants us to be. That's the posture of the Christian life. And he will actually do whatever it takes to bring us into that posture. He loves that the crowds are doing that. 
But it appears the disciples are not doing that. And so actually, he, he asks the disciples to do something huge and impossible in order to bring them to a place of dependence. Because he's not only the compassionate shepherd who never gets weary of us, but he's also the wise and powerful shepherd who can use our meager gifts to bless the weary. And we see that in this passage. It's a really interesting back and forth here between Jesus. Uh, and we don't know all that's going on uh, in the disciples' mind, but you know, they're coming to Jesus. He's been teaching. Verse 35, Jesus, it's getting late. Um, why don't we send these people home? Send them into the villages. They, they can get food there. Uh, we didn't invite them here, so I don't think they'll be offended if we're not going to feed them. There's no expectation. There wasn't like an invite, you know, di- dinner included. Uh, no, these people just showed up. Then Jesus responds. He says, you feed them. Verse 37. Now, verse 38, we don't know. If people debate whether or not the disciples here are being snarky or if they're, you know, just confused. But they're essentially asking, Jesus, there's a ton of people here. It would take 200 denarii, which is like eight months wages for one person. So a lot of money. Uh, Do you want us to take money or get money somehow and go into the village? And Jesus asked them, how many loaves do you have? Do you see what he's doing? His disciples are clearly confused. But he's bringing them to a place where they realize that they have to depend upon him. He's bringing them to a place and he's giving them a mission that they cannot do on their own. And again, they've seen Jesus do amazing things. They've seen him raise someone from the dead. They've seen him calm a storm. They know he has power over nature. But for whatever reason, their instinct in this passage is not to go to him first. And so Jesus uses this as a teaching opportunity. This miracle really, I mean, it does bless the crowds. He's using this to teach and to mold and to bless his disciples that they might see their helplessness and come to him. There was a book I read probably 10 or 12 years ago. Uh, It was about Operation Red Wing in Afghanistan in 2005 lone survivor. And a lot of the book is about that mission and him surviving uh, as a lone survivor. But the first part of that book is really a a lot about Navy SEAL training. And he goes just through how brutal that training is. It's meant to break you of any sort of pride that you might have in order that you might trust what your superiors are teaching you. If you come in thinking, I've got something to offer to these people. You'll quickly be broken of that. The initial training is meant to break you of that in order that you might be in a place where you can learn. And Jesus here is showing the disciples their helplessness and their insufficiency, not just to humble them, but so that they will come to him and be used by him. Jesus delights in helping the helpless and he's inviting the disciples to see their helplessness. Some of us 
maybe more like the crowds, might relate to the crowds more. We've got these needs, maybe we struggle to bring them to Jesus. Other of us might relate more with the disciples. It might be hard to see that you need Jesus. This is a room and a city full of competent people. We can do lots of things. There's lots of problems we can solve. We live in an age where lots of our immediate needs can be solved pretty easily. We can click something and have something arrive within a few hours or the next day. And it can be easy for us to turn to action first without turning to prayer. But the reality is when we read Scripture and we think about all the things God calls us to do. Go and make disciples of all nations. Okay, there's like a million people roughly in our metro area. Jesus says, I want you to do something about that. Those people need to hear the gospel. Uh, I want you to give your wealth away at an alarming rate. Uh, When someone insults you, I want you to turn the other cheek. Uh, I want you to offer forgiveness to some people. Seventy times seven times. Be holy as I am holy. There are widows and orphans who need to be cared for in this city and around the world. Love them. Make sure they are cared for. That's just a small sample size of the overwhelming commands we are given in Scripture. We need a shepherd. And if you're, you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, it's a holiday weekend. So I'm going to guess that some of you have been in a position that I was in when I was younger. And you have been brought to church. You're not here normally. And you might think, well, I don't have those commands. I don't have to deal with that. Right. But there are things in your life that you would like to change about yourself. We all have things we want to change about ourselves. There are habits you've fallen into. There's attitudes. You have jealousy, anger. You react to people in certain ways. And you wish you didn't. And you do not know how to change that. I mean, think about even the way Jesus responds to this group. He's showing compassion to a group of difficult, needy people. How do I do that? I know that's a good thing. I know it's good to be kind. I mean, there's yard signs in my neighborhood when I go on a run. It says, you know, be kind. Or just stop being rude. And it's like, that's great. I don't know how to just do that on on command. I don't know how to just be humble. The good news of the gospel is that we have a shepherd who lays down his life for his people. And yet his mission doesn't end there. He continues to shepherd us by his spirit, to mold us, to bring us to a place of dependence upon him and actually use the meager gifts that we do have. This miracle is really interesting. Jesus could have snapped his fingers and fed this entire group of people. You know, uh, but he doesn't. He actually uses the disciples, and he uses their meager offerings to bless thousands of people. He asks them, you know, how much food do you have? It's almost like a comical question because there's not that much food to count. It's not like they have to do this huge inventory checklist. Okay, how much do we have in this section? There's five and two. He's driving them home. You have very little, but I want 
you to bring it to me. I want to use that. And you know what he does? He uses their small offering. He uses their doubtful hearts to bless. Where they see pessimism and fatalism, he sees optimism and hope. He takes their weakness and actually uses it. And he does the same thing in you and me. Lots of you know I used to work for a campus ministry called RUF, and twice a year we would have staff training. And there was one where there was a seasoned campus minister. He'd been in ministry for uh, longer, much longer than I had been, and he was talking about their senior night uh, a few years back. And, you know, the seniors would get up and share how the Lord had been at work uh, in their lives throughout college. And a lot of times, you know, people share, gosh, I, maybe I wasn't a believer in college, and I came to know the Lord, and here are some Bible verses that mean a lot to me, or this is a sermon I remember, or a Bible study. And he said there was a season where he was so busy, his family was so busy, um, he was worn out at the end of the semester, could not wait for summer. And this girl gets up, and she shares that you know, she came from a family, her parents were divorced, uh, home life was always really, really hard. And she said the thing that spoke to her more than any other sermon, any other Bible study, was watching her pastor love his family. When he showed display joy with his children, when he loved his wife, when he went out of his way uh, to greet them at church, and he started talk, crying talking about this. He said, this was in the midst of a season where I felt like such a failure as a dad. And it was actually God using a season of seeming failure, of seeming weakness, of seeming insignificant acts to change the life of someone. That's what our God is like. He's a good shepherd. He shows compassion to his children. He uses our gifts to bless the weary, to change lives, not because he has to, but because he wants to. That should do two things. That should humble us. Any good that you or I do in the Christian life is solely because we have a good shepherd who is at work. But also that should embolden us. Because what that means is that God can use the most weak and the most messy passes, pasts. He can use weak people. He can transform hard hearts, and he can actually not only show compassion, but actually use you to bless you and to be a blessing. I know many of us have been failed by our earthly shepherds. These people that Jesus are talking to have just watched one of their governors, Herod, in the previous passage, behead John the Baptist, a ruler that was supposed to defend and rule them, failed them. They'd been failed by the Pharisees. Jesus, as we learn in John 10, does not come to destroy. He's the only sheep that we can trust because he's the only sheep that lays down, he's the only shepherd that lays down his life for his sheep. You can come to him. You can come to him with all of your needs. You can come to him with your weakness. 
and be shepherded by him. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that you are our God and our King. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are the good and true shepherd we need. Help us to not only see our needs clearly, but to bring them to you. Lord, might we know your compassion and might we run to you the way these people ran along the shore just to be with Jesus, to experience his compassion and to be used by him. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.